Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Sentience All That Matters. Yes, the show where we discuss everything regarding veganism, the world of being a vegan, vegan activism and vegan curious. So if you've ever wondered what this lifestyle is about, this is the place for you. Join us on a journey of discovery as we help to open up your mind and embrace your change to the righteous path. So whether you're vegan, know some vegans, are vegan curious, or have never even heard of veganism, sit back and relax, because I promise you, there's going to be something here to spark your interest. So a bit of housekeeping first, you can find us on Facebook at Sentience All That Matters. Feel free to join that public group and see what we've been getting up to. You can see the videos of our various activities on TikTok at Activist269. We have some videos also on YouTube at Sentience ATM. And if you'd like to get in touch and maybe ask for a subject matter to be covered, you can email us sentienceatm at gmail.com. So on this week's show, we will be discussing sheep in factory farming and what those poor sentient animals go through for you to have your lamb and your wool products. We'll also be touching base with some more vegan news from the wonderful plant-based news and the vegan society as usual. We'll also have our animal rights hero of the week, which is somebody that has gone out of their way to work towards a vegan world and protect the animals and we're going to discuss what is vegan to you as an activist so yes again there's been some controversial conversations coming up in the movement and we'll deep dive what exactly that means and then we will end as usual with our thought of the day so kick off those shoes grab that oat milk latte and we'll get right into it after this little number.
Welcome back. Let's get right into our first item, sheep and lambs. So here's a few fun facts for you. Sheep have best friends. They like and dislike particular members of their flock and form bonds which can last a lifetime. Sheep have excellent memories, can remember at least 50 individual sheep and people's faces for years. Sheep also experience complex emotional states which can, be, which can be studied by observing their body language, such as the position of their ears and facial expressions, pretty much just like dogs. So how intelligent are sheep? Well, far from the stereotype of being stupid and mindless, sheep have been shown through multiple studies to be intelligent, emotionally complex, and to have excellent memories and individual personalities. Given recent studies revealing just how intelligent sheep have been given a bit of a raw deal for generations, Keith Kendrick, professor of neurobiology at the University of Electronic Science and Technology of China notes, sheep may be capable of using the same system as humans to remember and respond emotionally to individuals in their absence. Sheep aren't just a bit more intelligent than we give them credit for, these animals are really smart. Sheep's brains have similarities to ours, particularly the basal ganglia, a part of the brain that controls important functions such as decision making, learning and habit formation. As well as being brainier than we thought, sheep display a complex array of emotions and form long-term friendships with their flocks. They also stick up for one another. Rams intervene to protect weaker friends in fights. These displays of loyalty are just one of the many emotions sheep feel, ranging through boredom, happiness and fear. They also have been shown to feel sad and like humans, grieve over the loss of a loved one. When you review the studies that show just how intelligent sheep are, it obviously makes what humans do to them even more horrific. Of all the sheep species, the modern domesticated one is by far the most common, with a population of over 1 billion worldwide. They are most likely descended from the wild mouflon between 11,000 and 9,000 BC. There are six species of sheep and hundreds of subspecies, all forming part of the Bovidae family of cloven hoof ruminants. If humans didn't farm sheep, there would still be a huge variety of species and subspecies around the world, from Central Europe to the Middle East, Asia to North America. Over the 10,000 years of domestication, modern sheep are very, very different to the wild sheep. Wild sheep do still exist around the world, and give us a good idea of the ancestry of domesticated sheep. They are ruminants, like cows, chewing, swallowing, and then regurgitating the cud 
in order to digest their food. They tend to live in hilly and mountainous habitats and flee uphill when threatened by predators. Renowned for their meekness, sheep do occasionally fight back against predators and doll sheep can even knock wolves off cliffs with their horns. Sheep are social animals but tend to stick with their own gender outside the mating season which is known as the rut. Male bachelor flocks vary in size from as little as 5 to 50 rams. Females live in nursery flocks ranging from 5 to 100 including their young. Wild sheep are known for their impressive horns, particularly the aptly named bighorn sheep native to North America whose, stu whose sturdy horns curve back behind their ears and can weigh up to 14 kilos. Sheep use their horns to establish their hierarchy within the flock. Rams are particularly agile and some species can reach speeds of up to 20 miles per hour. A sheep's natural lifespan varies widely depending on the breed. The record for the oldest animal is 28 years old, but domestic British sheep typically live 10 to 12 years if not sent to slaughter, similar to most breeds of dogs. Modern sheep differ from wild breeds in several ways. Wild sheep shed their hair naturally, while selective breeding by humans over many generations has produced sheep whose wool needs to be sheared. Domesticated sheep have also been selectively bred to produce twins and triplets rather than the single lamb that is usual in the wild. With just one offspring, a mother can give more attention and offer better protection than with multiple births, which result in high mortality rates. While lambs would naturally suckle for at least four months, in modern farming, they are weaned at a few weeks old and then fattened for slaughter. So just how are sheeps farmed? In 2020, 14.98 million sheep were slaughtered for meat. There are just under 33 million sheep in the UK and the value of sheep meat is estimated at 1.2 billion pounds or 9% of total livestock output. Ewes and their lambs form strong bonds at birth and are quickly able to recognize one another from their bleats. Lambs can walk within minutes of being born and naturally suckle and stay with their mothers until four to six months. Farmers sometimes forcibly wean lambs at eight weeks old and put them to grass so they can gain weight more quickly. It is standard practice to mutilate male lambs by using a tight rubber ring, a clamp or surgery to castrate them, usually at less than one week old. Even when an anesthetic is used, castration still causes chronic and acute pain. Lambs are castrated to improve the taste of their meat, render them more docile for handling and reduce aggression between intact males. Very young lambs are subjected to a second painful mutilation by having their tails docked. A hot iron, tight rubber ring or knife is used to remove most of their tail. Rubber rings for both castration and tail docking work by cutting off blood supply so the appendage shrinks and shrivels before dropping off. Although farmers claim that both are done for the sheep's benefit, wild sheep have no need of either mutilation. The practices are only necessary because of what humans have done to the animals and to make farming them easier. Ewes have been manipulated through selective breeding into giving birth to twins and even triplets, quadruplets and very occasionally quintuplets, all unnatural in wild sheep. This is partly why lamb mortality is high at approximately 15 to 20% of all births in the UK, with 16 million lambs born each year, between 2.4 and 3.2 million of them die from disease and exposure. The mortality rate is in part so high because farmers want to cash in on the spring lamb market where lamb carcasses yield higher returns, leading to an induced pregnancy taking place earlier and earlier in the year. As a result, lambs are born as early as December and are unable to survive the freezing temperatures of winter. 
They would naturally be born in spring when the weather is warmer and food is more plentiful. It is another instance of profit being prioritized over the animal's welfare. Lambs are sent to slaughter at the very young age of 10 weeks to one year old, the average age being six to seven months, even though they could live up to 12 years old. Ewes and lambs form close bonds with one another, and so when lambs are separated from their mothers to be sold for slaughter, it is traumatic for both. Lambs are transported in lorries, often for several hours, to be sold at auctions, sometimes several different times in different parts of the country before being slaughtered in abattoirs. And just in case you didn't know the process, when we come back, we'll discuss exactly what happens in that slaughterhouse. I sit away as an angel contemplate my fate Do they know the places where we go when we're gray and old Cause I have been told that salvation Let's their wings unfold So when I'm lying in my bed Thoughts running from my head And I feel that love is dead I'm loving angels instead And through it Oh, she offers me protection forsake me I'm loving angels instead When I'm feeling weak and my pain walks down one way street I look above and I know I'll always be blessed with to my bones when love is dead I'm loving angels instead
forsake me I'm loving angels instead Okay, welcome back. So as promised, we're gonna to touch base on the slaughter process now. So like most animals at slaughter, sheep are supposedly pre-stunned before being killed. The most common method by far is electrical stunning, where a slaughterman places electrodes on either side of the animal's head with a device like a large pair of tongs. Its effectiveness depends entirely on where the electrodes are placed on the head and how long they're placed there. It can fail on both counts. The other method used is a penetrative captive bolt that is shot into the skull of a sheep to make him or her instantly unconscious. The animal is then shackled by a hind leg, hoisted up onto an overhead rail where the slaughter worker slices its throat open and the sheep bleeds to death. With electrical stunning, sheep can regain consciousness before being knifed. With sloppy stunning, they may not lose consciousness at all, but go to their death paralyzed, but fully aware of what is happening. With captive bolt stunning, everything depends upon the accuracy of the shot, and when the slaughterer has to have more than one attempt, it causes extraordinary suffering. Even when stunning works, the whole process leading up to it can be terrifying for the animals. In large abattoirs, sheep are typically herded into the stunning area in single file by mechanical means. In small abattoirs, groups of sheep are stunned in pens. They hear the noise and smell the fear of other sheep in the slaughterhouse as they are herded one by one into the restrainer conveyor or they see the sheep around them being stunned before it's their turn. It is a barbaric and traumatic experience. Slaughter without stunning causes even more suffering to the sheep. 25% of sheep are killed without any stunning at all, with the vast majority being slaughtered in this way for halal certification. The carcasses of some animals killed without stunning are subsequently rejected by their face and are sold on the open market. So it is likely that many British consumers unknowingly eat animal products which have come from non-stunned animals. There is no requirement to label their origins currently. So at this point in the conversation, I will always say to you, now you know, you know. And what that means is that now you know how these products are produced you need to make the ethical, correct decision and stop sponsoring this horror show. You see, the simple factor is that when there is a victim, it isn't a choice, is it? Because if your choice creates a victim, how do you have the right over that victim to create them in the first place for your own needs? Adding to this, it is an entirely unnecessary need because you don't need animal products in any physicality whatsoever to survive on this planet. And of course, putting the animal ethics to one side for a moment, it would be impossible for us in this day and age to not understand the drivers of climate change and how much animal agriculture contributes towards this. And going even further, our own personal health and the implications consuming animal products has on our own life expectancy you know and the funny thing is that whenever we have conversations throughout our lives and whoever we're having conversations with it's funny how when it's a conversation about anything other than veganism if someone points out that there's a triple whammy of loss to carrying on down a certain pathway then we tend to stop and think about it logically. But when someone asks you to stop doing something in the name of animal rights, it all suddenly becomes a bit tree-hugging and hippified, and we use that as an excuse to carry on the behavior. I mean, seriously, pick any genre where someone has given you advice 
that's a negative about that product or using that item or say don't buy that car because the road tax is horrendously expensive and the miles per gallon is seriously low it's going to cost you a fortune to run that car you would literally take that on board look up all the information yourself and that would be a factor into whether you bought that car or not but someone turns around and tells you what farming animals does to the animals your health the planet and even people with children who have got to live on this planet when we're all done and dusted and gone still will find some excuse to continue the behavior because they don't want to be seen to be joining a cultist club like veganism and when we wake up and realize that the multi-billion pound marketing machine that is the animal agriculture industry is going to push everybody over the cliff into destruction simply because enough people refuse to be open-minded all the information you can possibly need on sheep lambs and why we shouldn't be farming them can be found on the viva charity website viva.org.uk
Okay, welcome back. So let's crack on with some vegan news as supplied by Plant-Based News and the Vegan Society. So in Italy, calls for Italian officials to spare the life of Mother Bear who killed a jogger. Yes, more than 300,000 people are protesting Gaia's proposed death sentence. Italian citizens stand divided about the fate of a female brown bear who killed a jogger in the province of Trentino with hundreds of thousands signing a petition to save her. Andrea Papi, 26, was found dead on a wild bear-populated trail earlier this month, displaying claw and bite marks. Following his death, a female bear called JJ4 was captured and relocated to a wildlife park while authorities debate whether she should be killed. The governor is adamantly calling for the culling Having issued a death order, his decision was suspended by the Regional Administrative Tribunal while the case is looked at more closely. Behind the suspension is a coalition of activist groups including the International Organization of Animal Protection. They have vowed to protect Gaia the bear and the cubs she has birthed via all available legal means. The petition was launched and has already the support of more than 300,000 people. They include veterinarians who are reportedly threatening to refuse a kill order while demonstrations continue outside the governor's office. Also stating they do not want to see the bear destroyed are Pappy's parents. His mother told reporters that local residents were not aware that bears in the area were problematic. The EU-funded Life Ursus project saw 10 bears moved from Slovenia to Trento in an attempt to rewild the area. The initiative was deemed essential for the integrity of the local ecosystem as bears lived there prior to increased urbanization. However, the bears numbers have naturally increased to around 100, causing local officials to now declare them a threat. Citizens are reportedly divided about their growing numbers, with many loving the animals and wanting to help protect them, while others deem them a nuisance and a concern. Fantastic, what an amazing example of human beings needing to reintegrate an animal into a ecosystem because they've destroyed it. And then as soon as that job is done, deeming the animal a pain and a danger because you can't jog through bear infested territories. Amazing thought concept that. In other news, vegan ultra runner wins Zion 100km desert trail race. Austin Meyer has been vegan for five years. The vegan ultra runner first took first place at the Zion Ultra 100k or 62 mile race on April the 15th, finishing in just over 10 hours. <laughs> the ultramarathon saw athletes racing around the Zion National Park in Utah. Considered a difficult route, only experienced ultra runners with a half ultramarathon already under their belt are eligible to compete. Maya, a documentary filmmaker and photographer, completed the run with support from both his partner and coach. Upon finishing the race, he took to social media to thank the event organizers and express gratitude for the opportunity to learn more about himself during the run. Discussing his five years as a vegan, Maya also notes that it is fundamental to his training. Moreover, it plays a crucial part in everything he does before, during, and after a race. Eating a plant-based whole food diet has allowed me to increase physical stress in training and simultaneously recover faster. This is due in part to the antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties of the food which lead to reduced muscle damage. In recent years, the fitness and health benefits of a plant-based nutrition have become more widely understood. If animal protein was once considered the only option for serious contenders, a slew of vegan athletes now challenge the misconception, many of whom seek to crush outmoded stereotypes. Moving on, this week, Peter caused a storm with their new billboard is eating fish the same as eating cats. Peter is urging the public to consider the hypocrisy of their food choices. The new billboard campaign that compares eating fish to eating cats 
has been subject to intense debate in the UK. The animal rights group PETA is behind the ad, which is currently shown in Cleethorpes and in northeast Lincolnshire. It shows a smiling fishmonger holding up a dead fish, which then turns into a cat. The words, see things in a different light, respect all life, go vegan, are shown underneath. Cleethorpes is at the center of the UK's fish processing industry, and the ad is displayed just outside a fish and chip shop. According to the BBC, one passerby described it as a bit sick, adding, it's a cat, you don't eat a cat. While people may be shocked by the comparison, the ad stems from the belief of many in the vegan community that there is no difference between the animals we eat and our pets. Humans in the UK are often repulsed by the idea of eating companion animals like cats and dogs, but find nothing wrong with eating cows, pigs, chickens and fish. Many people would argue that preference for some animals over the other can be attributed to our culture and society rather than any scientific basis. There is no reason to believe that any of these animals have any less capacity to feel emotions than cats and dogs. And it's this message that Peter is attempting to drive home with its advert, stating, fish and animals with feelings who can experience pain just as much as our animal companions can, yet fishes haul them out of the ocean, causing them to suffocate and gut them while they're still conscious. Historically, humans have tended to view fish as unconscious and unintelligent animals. This is likely due to the fact they look and behave differently to us. A great deal of scientific research has indicated, however, that fish do have the capacity to feel pain. In her book, Do Fish Feel Pain? Biologist Victoria Braithwaite wrote, there is as much evidence that fish feel pain and suffer as there is for birds and mammals alike. And once again, we find the fig debate coming round. Are figs vegan? The dead wasp process needs to be explained. It's long been claimed that figs are an example of a non-vegan fruit, but is this the truth? Over the last few years, rumors have circulated that figs aren't vegan friendly due to the fact that they require a wasp to die in the pollination process. Figs are a hugely popular food all over the world, they're eaten in salads or in desserts, or just as a snack on their own. Many people may be shocked, therefore, to learn that they are often thought of as an unsuitable product for those on plant-based and vegetarian diets. The rise of veganism has also seen an increase in rumors and misinformation about the lifestyle. Many people attempt to discredit the movement by claiming that a host of fruits and vegetables are produced using animal cruelty and that vegans are therefore hypocrites for eating just about anything. Whilst it's true that some vegan foods may involve animals in some way, that doesn't necessarily mean they aren't vegan. Some types of figs are pollinated by fig wasps who enter and lay their eggs inside. These wasps and fig trees rely on each other to reproduce with scientists believing they evolved alongside each other. The wasp pollinates the fig tree and the tree in turn pollinates the wasp by enabling them to lay their eggs inside. When entering the tree, a female wasp will often lose her wings in the process meaning she is un unable to get out. After laying her eggs, she will then die inside the fig. This leads many to believe that figs we buy in the supermarket contain wasps and are therefore unsuitable for vegans. Whilst it's true that some figs do involve wasps in their pollination, this does not mean that they aren't vegan. This is a wholly natural process and doesn't involve human-led exploitation of animals which veganism seeks to exclude. The eggs that the female lays within the fig will exit while still larvae, meaning she is given away to more life by dying. Both the fig and wasp have evolved that way and the process is not comparable to unnatural farming practices. The wasp will also be digested within the fig, 
This means there is no chance a human will unwittingly eat the corpse of an insect when biting into the fruit. What's more, the figs typically eaten by humans often don't involve wasp pollination at all. This means that they will likely never have been wasps or wasp eggs present inside them. It's extremely rare for fruits and vegetables to be unsuitable for vegans. Many people believe that foods like avocados, melons, butternut squash and almonds aren't vegan friendly. This is due to the fact that they require migratory beekeeping as part of the production process. Whilst this is undoubtedly an example of animal exploitation, there is very little vegans can do to avoid all indirect cruelty in their food. Veganism is about excluding cruelty as much as possible and perfection isn't always possible in this regard.
Okay, so welcome back. Moving on to this week's Animal Rights Hero. And we have this week Peter Singer. The renowned utilitarian philosopher from Australia has drawn global attention for approaching the relationship between animals and human beings from a new perspective. He touched off a debate over animal rights with his 1973 essay, Animal Liberation, which he published when he was 27 years old, and his book of the same title released two years later. Singh's argument for animal liberation is that if animals experience pleasure and pain equivalent to what humans do, then their pain should be considered equal to that of humans, meaning that we should not discriminate against animals. On that basis, he opposes all forms of exploitation that inflict suffering on animals for the sake of human profit and pleasure, including meat consumption and animal testing. Singer has published numerous books on applied ethics and animal liberation and has been a practicing vegetarian for over 40 years. The New Yorker wrote that he may be the most controversial philosopher alive, he is certainly among the most influential. In October 2021, he published Why Vegan, a collection of nine essays about animal liberation. Interestingly, Singer isn't an all-out vegan. He says that he's become a vegetarian because he didn't want to support any act that would inflict suffering on animals, but on occasion he will consume oysters and mussels and other sorts of clams because of the low likelihood of them being able to feel pain on account of their lack of central nervous system and brain. Singer will from time to time dine on eggs provided by free-range chickens that he raises. The thinker has described himself as a flexible vegan. Now, although I don't agree with Singer on that ethical standpoint, his contribution to animal liberation is undeniable. And his global debates on speciesism has undeniably changed the landscape for multiple animals. And it's this very kind of debate and discussion that leads us into our next item on the show. What is vegan enough to you as an activist? Do you simply stand by the traditional definition of veganism as stated by the vegan society? Or do you, on your journey, start to create a new definition for yourself of what you view veganism to be and the reason why we're deep diving into this this week is once again some shocking revelations on some social media about just how some vegan activists actually see people's rights and responsibilities under veganism and such life decisions or life affecting decisions that they might take in an instant based on what is best for a particular species of animal. So let's just define the meaning of veganism as per the vegan society. Veganism is a philosophy and way of living which seeks to exclude as far as is practical and possible all forms of exploitation of and cruelty to animals for food, clothing, or any other purpose, and by extension, promotes the development and use of animal-free alternatives for the benefit of animals, humans, and the environment. Now, unless any movement has an agreed fundamental basic principle, then the message very quickly gets either diluted or turned into extremism and when I read a post where someone is prepared to watch somebody die simply because by letting a human being die that would save the lives of non-human animals one has to question is that not in itself a form of speciesism added to that is there some negative morality at play here when the post also moves on to suggest we shouldn't be giving blood as vegans because it might be received by non-vegans, which again is then killing sentient beings 
through the animals that they eat, is this not setting ourselves up for a very slippery path? If veganism is being turned simply into a numbers game rather than a morality game, where will that end? With so many complicated nuances in life, how can we possibly expect every single individual to be a sitting jury and decide the morality of who gets to live and who gets to die and make that judgment in a split second in their own head. Donated blood could go on to be given to somebody who ends up being the most prevalent animal rights activist to ever have walked the earth. The fact they had previously eaten animal products would have nothing to do with the success of their future activism career. One thing would be for sure though, had they not received the blood because nobody was giving blood donations and they had died, millions of animals would have suffered. The constant pushing of such insane agendas within the movement does nothing but divide, but does perhaps show some mental health concerns where ideals replace someone's actual reality. And with that in mind, we move on to this week's thought of the day. Social media is an extremely difficult terrain to cross. We can see delightful posts one minute and something we consider to be horrendous the next. But overridingly, it is our job to see past the content of posts and see perhaps when people are hurting or going off the rails. We can all read a comment, laugh and scroll on, but really, what should we be doing with these type of interactions? The kind thing is to reach out. The kind thing is to stop scrolling. The kind thing is to send that quick message saying, are you okay? And you know what? That person may be steadfast in their opinion they've made, and that's okay. But at least you've put out the olive branch and asked the question. An online debate can be just that, a debate of two differences of opinion. But it can also be a cry for help. If someone's in the position where they'd rather be dead because it would save the lives of animals, perhaps they are the one that needs saving. And on that Katsu bombshell, we've gone and run out of time again. Thank you ever so much for joining us again for this discussion. Thank you to Plant Based News and the Vegan Society for their news clips. And just time for me to say, until next week, this one's just for you. you